0: You're a very dark man, Stephen. Check for pulse.
1: So, um, welcome to episode 19 of the Digital Doctor podcast. And we have the usual suspects today. Um, and t- I'm Wai And together with me, we've got Ed and Stephen. Say hi, guys. Hi. Good evening. So, um, today we'll be talking about guidelines. So, um you know, for most of our listeners, I suppose most of you know what guidelines are. Uh, those are the things that we have in hospitals that um, tell us how to treat a particular patient with a particular condition in particular scenarios. And I guess you know examples would include things like the antibiotic guidelines or the diabetic ketoacidosis guidelines. And um, it seems to be something that everyone wants to make into an app nowadays. What do yeah. you think, Ed? So I think this
0: trend of turning the guidelines into an app sort of—if we go back to the very basic thing—it used to be that everyone was given a paper copy um, of, you know, the guidelines that were relevant to them, or perhaps a paper copy could be found on the wards or in the location the clinic, perhaps where it was needed or whatever. Um, then when hospital intranet started coming along, the P- the PDF copy, um, or sometimes even the Word copy, found its way onto the hospital intranet. Um, but as we know, hospital intranets can be quite difficult places to find things sometimes. I'm sure that's something that you both and our listeners would empathize with. Um, so I think when mobile devices came along, it seemed like, well, this is the perfect fit. You know, it's we can actually have the guidelines in a mobile format um, available. Now, of course, the, first, the way people used, did this originally was they just took the PDF file and they put it into a PDF reader, um, perhaps put it on their Dropbox and then use a the PDF reader, something like Goodreader on their iPad or, you know, another PDF reading thing, even iBooks actually, to be able to actually view the guidelines as a PDF straight there. Um, so that was the state of play. And then I think about a year and a half ago, Imperial... Uh, led the way on this, and they brought out their own app for antibiotic guidelines, which I think in the UK sort of set this ball in motion in terms of, okay, how can we take set of guidelines, turn them into an actual mobile format, rather than just having an app that we shove a PDF into. Um, just, because-
1: just to yeah, just to correct you a bit, I think actually Southampton did it first, and did it more than a year ago. Um, and I, I seem to recall that. But anyway, you can... Are you sure? I, I thought it was Imperial. Anyway. They did it before. Lots of, of people are doing it now.
0: Tons of people are doing it now.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. Um, and some have done it better than others. So some have just dumped, you know, just cut up a PDF and then created a basic, like, you put some buttons on the screen and you get, you press one button and you get a bit of the PDF and then you go back and you press another button and you get another bit of the PDF, which is probably not doing the potential of, you know, the mobile potential
1: of that product any good. I think, there are better probably, ways. Yeah. I think before we go on, it's probably worth thinking about why we even have guidelines in the first place, because that seems to, it's a relatively new phenomenon, isn't it? I think it only came about. Perhaps you know ten years ago. Before that, people just used to do their own thing, and perhaps that's why guidelines were created. Do you have any? You know, Stephen, you seem to claim that you do not use guidelines. You did not when you he were doesn't house need, he doesn't need them. Yeah,
0: use the force. <laughs> They're in his head.
1: So, when no, you are a FY1, FY2, and you need to decide what antibiotic to use in this situation, or what are the steps that you need to make sure you don't forget when you're treating someone with uh, chest pain and uh, an acute coronary event, do you just memorize it all? <laughs>
2: Uh, Yeah but where do you memorise it from? Do you memorise it from the guidelines or do you memorise it from your, your, your medical school knowledge and which guideline do you use? Because let's not forget there are different levels of guidelines. There'll be your hospital guidelines which is probably what you should use first and foremost particularly for antibiotics because and microbiologists always do this and i'm not sure how they do it but from one hospital to another even though there's only five miles between them or maybe less they claim that their antibiotics are completely different for a particular infection with a particular organism based on local sensitivities
0: really that could be local sensitivities within the hospital
2: yeah i don't know i just don't know how they're so different
0: i think it's just microbiologist fancy isn't it
2: uh, I, have no, I have no idea but then what oh, I
0: always find is when you call the microbiologist and you ask their advice... Oh, they're amazing. I, they, well, they're amazing, but they give you advice that's totally different to what it says in the guidelines.
2: Yeah, maybe.
0: That's not entirely true. It is. I found that universally.
2: So I guess guidelines, the idea is that uh, you want to standardise care and mm-hmm. uh, no doctor can read everything. So you want to be able to assimilate all the best available evidence and produce some kind of recommendation but that is on the assumption that your population that you're dealing with or the person you're dealing with is similar in some kind of way to the population that you're oh, sorry the the population that was studied did i say that right around? so the person you're treating in front of you has to relate to the population that was studied that ended up producing that recommendation otherwise it's effectively
1: useless so so absolutely. So I guess the first step, the step one, if you like, of any guideline app or any guidelines is that the doctor needs to first think about using one and then they have to choose the right one.
2: Mm. Yeah, exactly. So if someone was having, let's just uh, stick with the, uh, let's stick with the, actually, let's go to acute coronary syndrome. So if someone have, was having an acute coronary syndrome in your hospital, if the American Cardiology Association had made particularly uh, guidelines about the use of bivalirudin in acute coronary syndromes, and you thought as a, you know, a doctor that that was better than what your hospital was recommended, should you give it?
0: Can you give it?
2: No, probably not, because it might not be on pharmacy, and yeah. uh, things just work better when there there was the there is an the accepted practice. So, for example, today I was in a very particularly boring lecture. Uh, Someone came to visit us and he was going on for for (laughs) more than 50% of the time that he was allotted. And I was imagining what would happen if he was suddenly to drop down and die in cardiac arrest. And um, I am based on the Adderbrook site, but I'm not actually in Adderbrook's hospital. And I was wondering how I would get him to hospital. And um, it reminded me of a time when I dived into a swimming pool and dislocated my shoulder right outside uh, the Royal London Hospital because they have a swimming pool there. And uh, I ran into the hospital um, in my swimming shorts and with my shoulder half hanging out and started screaming, help me, help me in A&E in the reception. And no one knew what to do because they're not used to people turning up in that way. And I was thinking about this guy dropping dead and me doing a bit of CPR for a while. And I was thinking, what will we actually do? And I come to the conclusion, the best thing to do was to follow the process that already exists is to call the ambulance because there would likely be an ambulance nearby. They can come and pick him up. And when he goes to A&E, they they have a process, it's expected that people come in in that fashion and they have a process and it's normal for people to deal with it in that way. If we were to carry him uh, in a fireman's carry on our backs through the hospital into A&E, no one would know what was going on, no one would be prepared, it would create a lot of stress, that kind of thing. Um,
0: You're a very dark man, Stephen. <clears throat> it
2: was a very boring lecture. But it's a very valid point. And it's a very valid point, I think, and that's why I think you should follow uh, local guidelines, personally. like... <laughs> Because they are there uh, for a reason and they have been uh, vetted in terms of, though they should be vetted and reviewed in terms of the best available evidence by a specialist in your hospital. And they have taken account, I hope, of all of the available evidence and they have made an assessment of it and produced a guideline that they would like you to follow. And it may be based on other things like local contracts, uh, local drug availability and uh, superstition
1: superstition so the, so why, why have an app in the first place why what does an app add to this whole process so from what i 'm hearing is that we want guidelines to help standardize practice to hopefully uh, apply the best evidence based principles that we can do today. Uh, and I guess to make sure the patients get what we consider the best care. Then, yeah. so what? What's the difference between going to your intranet, finding finding the the guideline, printing it out, and putting it in the patient notes or in the you know observation notes, so that everyone who comes to see the patient knows exactly what you're doing. So, what? Why? An app, what? What does it Read,
0: readability is that what it comes down to? So, in my experience, I mean, I've done this before when I when I used to be. I said, used to be a doctor. I guess I still am a Lama doctor. Used to be a practicing clinician um, on the wards. Often you'd say, okay, this patient's got ACS. I better review what the ACS protocol is for this place. And you'd go to the internet. 20 minutes later, you'd find the guide- guidance. Hopefully, the GTN hadn't worn off by then. Um, and you'd open it up you can give some and he gives them all. But you can't multitask. So you're, you're, you're trying I'm to you the trying You set you're up an infusion. Oh. <laughs> That's where I was going wrong. Anyway, so you open up the the PDF, and then you are confronted with four pages of introduction, um, followed by three pages of evidence. Followed, you know, and you might eventually, if you're lucky, find an actual something that is presenting the data, i.e., what you need to know. That's when I refer to data. That's what you know in a in a quick and easy to use fashion. So maybe hopefully you'd find an, you know, an algorithm with boxes that would just give you, you know, the steps to take a bit like the life support algorithms or something like that. So I challenge um,
1: you on that because that problem there is a problem of design. It's not a problem that you need an app.
0: Well, of course, it's a problem of design. Yeah. But so, the app adds something else, which is mobility.
1: So the one, the one thing that are apps is that you don't have to go and find a computer which has the guideline because it's in your pocket. Yeah,
0: and you don't have to, it's about reliability as well. So you can feel, you know, but I guess that could be the case with the document as well, if it's mm. been optimized and you have confidence in it. But generally, I think people's confidence about looking at guidelines in terms of the amount of time and the accessibility, I think is quite low.
2: I think guidelines are being used for different things because I mean let's think about the process of a guideline first of all you have to do uh, you have to identify the problem uh, then you have to formulate a proper research question then you have to go and do your literature view and review all the proper t- proper research uh, and then you have to basically identify your, your stakeholders I mean I mean this is sort of what is the point of a guideline the thing is that doctors can't keep up with you know 75 randomized Mm. clinical trials published a day and an x number of clinical reviews and to stay up to date in your specialty you have to read a phenomenal amount and people can't do that they don't have the time to critic and it's not just read the abstract it's critically appraise the evidence Mm. no one can do that so guidelines have to exist to assimilate the the best available evidence but they should summarize and evaluate and, and aim to assist physicians in their care of patients on the basis of impact on outcome a risk to benefit ratio of the treatments we have NICE use a different approach they use cost effectiveness which you know can be argued as good or bad but the last two steps in producing a guideline you could be argued the easy bit is to identify the problem to find the question do the research produce the review and work out what is the best available evidence the most difficult bit because all of that is useless unless it gets to the front line unless it gets to patients so the last bit is probably the most difficult and it is dissemination and education. And I, ge-
0: I, yeah. I, I agree, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that the app forces you to think about the content in a different way. So people have been writing these guidelines with poor design yeah. for a long time. And often they, they've become part of the woodwork of the hospital. You know, okay. these guidelines existed there. Mm-hmm. But the, say it's bringing in somebody to develop at the app forces you to think rethink the design to make it more accessible
1: because but it wouldn't then, happen otherwise yeah but a lot of hospitals when they ask someone to write an app i mean i guess the enlightened one would take it as an opportunity as right now that it's electronic how can we use the fact that it's electronic to present our guideline in a way that's even more accessible and it's just not about Finding the guideline, but actually making it much more user and accessible. Yeah, but there's only a different lot of purposes,
2: That's... right, of a guideline. Like one of the purposes is to 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 decide what is the best available evidence. Like Nice's Nice's objective is to to decide what is the best available evidence in light of the fact that we are a utilitarian society and that we have to provide for everybody and we have a national health service. So that's one purpose and you might want to as a physician sit down and read all of that evidence and assess and critically appraise what NICE have done and assess it for its validity which is Um, why there are several different documents that NICE produce. One is a quick reference guide, one is maybe a flowchart, and one is the full guidance and those documents serve different purposes Mm -hmm. and the purpose we're talking about at the moment is I've got a patient in front of me and they've got this because I'm a doctor and I've diagnosed them, what do I do?
0: Yeah, I want the steps as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I d- of what I, really, I need to
2: do Exactly. I really don't want to read the 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 grading of evidence. I really don't want to read why they think this trial is better than the other and the limitations of that particular trial. That's for that's for a different day. That's for my uh you know, evening reading. That's not for I'm with a patient in accident and emergency or the emergency department or whatever you like to call it. Um and I think that people confuse those things. So just sticking a PDF into an app is confusing. The purpose of it so maybe they should be um you know frequently asked questions how do you deal based on the best available evidence how do i deal with this particular scenario and that that requires choices in the app so what what would happen in the doctor's mind is this patient has an infection and they have a say they have a urinary infection um i need to find a guideline let's say it's a local guideline about how to deal with urinary infections and if you go onto the internet, what typically will happen is you will find a guideline that that outlines the stakeholders, the methodology, uh, mm-hmm. all of the evidence, the trials, the references. I don't want that, and that's why they have to give me a particular laminated card that I hang around my neck because that's exactly what I need. What I need is urine infection. What agent shall I use? And those two purposes are very different. And I think apps don't take current apps, as far as I know, because I don't. I'm a neurologist and I don't. Um, I'm not very good at looking at guidelines Um, and I think current solutions that I have seen don't really pay attention to the fact that really I just want a specific question answered and I don't want all of the other guff
0: yeah very well put guff that's the problem the guff the guff is the problem it's always the problem what do you think, Waikiong? You're may-
1: remaining quiet. No, because I. Quiet. But I'm still think. So, what is the point of an app? Because if you if you could load this onto the intranet and let's say the intranet is actually very well designed and you can find the information easily, and instead of presenting you guidelines with Gov, it pro- it presents you with useful, well designed, quick reference guidelines. Okay, those are two very big ifs. Exactly, but it's the same problem with the app. You. Only if the app is designed well, is it going to add like the you know the value of it being digital. Otherwise, it's just going to replace exactly. that. And I think it's it's even worse on a small device sometimes because you can't read it properly. Because at least on paper or on the screen is big. Yeah, but exactly what I'm saying is that the app, like the the
0: the app saying committing to the app commits you to a redesign. And I'm not saying that all redesigns are done well, but at least it at least forces you to think. You know, most people can consider that the guideline can't just be a PDF in the app. They have to make changes to that content to make yeah. it more accessible. Because that isn't a redesign,
2: right? Like exactly what you say, that's not just, just producing a PDF delivery application is not a redesign at all.
1: I I, I completely agree with you guys, but i just say one thing. <laughs> I agree, I, but. <laughs> I, no, I agree that in the ideal world, you would design an app, uh, you redesign the guideline for an app to take advantage of all the interactivity and all the clever things that an app could do, right? What their computers can do. Yeah. But I think at the moment, there is a need for a much more simple uh, application that just delivers hospitals guidelines to people's devices and keeps them up to date, even if you're in PDS. Because it solves one big problem which is I can't bloody get to the computer and I can't find it easily. And I think even if you can solve that one problem, is worth it. I'm not decent, and, and you know, you can call them app management guidelines or whatever, and, and, mm. sorry, uh, guideline management applications or whatever you want to call it. It's just a document management system with a clever search function at the end of the day. I think that's quite useful.
0: Well, Waikyeong, I'm glad that you brought that point up. All
1: right. If you built something already.
0: That is the next feature that's coming to induction.
1: Well, guideline management
0: yeah that makes perfect sense doesn't it yeah so it probably will just be pdfs but but, but the hospital but so- will have the hospital will have control over the information that's available to the doctors working in their hospital in the guidelines
1: section and i think we talked about this in a previous episode in induction and stephen brought up one very key thing is do you really want this to be in the same app or should it actually be in a different app no same app because it's when part you- of
0: the it, it's 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 what we're trying to say with this this app is that this is the we've made intelligent choices about the information that you need to have out and about doing your job in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And these are the, these are those things. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean uh, I don't I, know. Kind I, of, have... I
2: kind of agree and disagree. I'm so I'm will- you know me, I'm always willing to debate and I could be persuaded either way. You're but asking. I also always recognize before I even say anything, and even consider what you've just said, that you have an emotional attachment. Oh, and you, of course I and, do. Yeah. And not only that is that you also have uh, a good base with induction. You've got a you've got a hook. You've got a link in to a lot of people, and uh, to to do that again with a separate app, uh, when there are many that deliver guidelines, is perhaps slightly difficult. And I agree from your point of view, having that uh, in in the same application would be a good thing to do. Uh, I kind of agree in a little way although going back to what I said uh, when we were talking about the induction app in the, that you should really, I think apps in the, so application has been a word to describe a, a, a computer program for a long time but only recently has an app or an application um, become to regarded as, as, as something that usually performs one function extremely well And I quite like that segmentation. And and what Wei Kyung is asking is, should really, you know, disregarding your emotional connection and your already uh, great user base, should this be a separate application? And are there things that you could do differently if you had two applications that you couldn't do if it was all amalgamated into one?
0: Simple answer, no.
2: But why? That's the interesting answer. Why?
0: But, But why would you? Why would? I mean, so what is the purpose of this app? That's the question what what are you what am I trying to do with the app? The app is designed to give doctors the information that they need in an accessible format for their local hospital mm-hmm. on the go mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i I, I, think, I think
1: guidelines uh, comes under that possibly but so does a lot of other things, which is why I feel that y- you should be under the same induction brand if you like, if you can call it a brand or induction family of products. But I think it should be a different app because, for example, if one of those guidelines become, you know, redesigned and like an antibiotic guideline, for example, because that would be another separate app. Yeah, what, what, what would, the app, let's say an antimicrobial guideline will be yeah. a separate app. Um, yeah, you can't have
2: like a million apps for each particular yeah, condition. No, antibiotics for the chest, antibiotics for the gallbladder,
0: or even you can't have multiple million or thousands of different apps, each one for an individual hospital. No,
2: I don't think they should be hospital based. I think there needs to be someone like you doing something to serve everybody. I think that needs to happen. But I mean, it's a philosophical point of whether that that this kind of functionality exists uh, or would damage what already exists.
0: Well, I agree. Uh, I mean, I think that I think there would be a place so the, the functionally I'm considering adding to induction is a very simple one, which is not the best way to view the guidelines, but it does put the guidelines in one place. And that would be essentially hospitals uploading PDFs that they currently have of guidelines so that doctors can access them. Yeah. Um, that's great. I think there's a different product. There's a different product out there, which is much more powerful um, which wouldn't fit into induction, but could come under the same branch, and that is something which actually is data driven rather than pdf driven that doesn't
2: sound like you though ed it doesn't sound like something that that if we were sitting down having a beer, having a conversation about what we would <laughs> design as the best possible thing it doesn't sound like something you would say
0: what what which bit
2: let's stick uh let's re- replicate the paper system and let let hospitals stick the pdf into induction
1: i All think right, no, I no. think
2: you would be more for redesigning the process and recognizing that there are faults with the process and recognizing that there are two different uh or, or at least two different um applications sorry use cases for a, a clinical guideline but and you have to
0: take small steps so we're not gonna i'm not gonna be so the, the system i would really like to build is one which you know has a quite an uh, it's it's actually completely data driven per hospital so, so this actually, is this sounds like it so you're putting the like you know, you're putting the data, each hospital's putting the data in, you know, so they might be putting the drug in, the dose, you know, any cautions, any sensitivities, traffic light system or whatever. Um, and then that was going out. Um, and you're right, that is a completely different product. And the reason that wouldn't be part of an the reason that wouldn't be part of induction is because you just have to take small steps. At the moment to get lots of people putting all that data in and validating
1: it and doing all that is a huge it's not, step. It's, it's, yeah. And I think you solve, and you solve one very important problem if you accessibility. And, you know, even if you solve that one problem, I, I think it is worth doing, even if it's not purist. But is it that hard to
2: get hold of a guideline? I don't it find is, it, is it, it. Is
1: it? It is hard. Is it? It, it's it can incredible. be hard. Okay. Yeah. Let's put it, let's put it this way. So I've recently run a junior doctor survey uh, in my hospital and One of the big things that was commented about was we can 't find the guidelines on the internet that's well, the nice... internet, so
2: if they sort their internet out, does Ed need to produce his app?
1: Yeah, but the point is they 're not going to sort their internet out Why not? and 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 also if it 's on the internet, it's still also not on their phones where they you know solve the accessibility issue again i 'm right but who next cares to the... the screen's
2: four and a half inches or whatever it is i 'd rather i 'd rather view it on a... but you can view it on the move while you
0: 're going anywhere. To...
2: Yeah, Yeah. but I don't want to look at... If I'm going to read a PDF, the last device I will ever possibly choose to read a PDF document is my phone.
1: But you don't have a no, choice. No, I do have a choice. I've got
2: my iPad in my bag because I'm a neurologist, so I carry a man bag. So I'll pull up my iPad and I'll use my iPad quite happily because that is quite good at rendering PDFs.
1: Yeah, but not everyone has hmm. a neurology bag.
2: No, but they also have a lot of computers <laughs> on hospitals. So if there's a screen... But, there's if never, I,
1: in, but that's the problem. There is never enough computers to get to the guidelines. Oh, well, that's a, different, that's a different issue. But everybody has their phone or something with them. And if Ed solves that one problem i think that it's worth it and people are asking for it so when there were the when the aim of the
2: game is to move things to a more digital age with electronic medical records and the hospital is going to become digitized you want to uh, solve some of the problem with them by making people use you know bring your own device kind of thing rather than just for the you know providing evidence to say to the hospital look you need to provide more computers because let's face it there are 20 staff that work on this ward and you've got five
0: computers so but it's about it's about reaching those people so i mean what induction has shown so far and this is amazing and it's become even i mean this has only really become apparent with this latest figures since the august induction Mm -hmm. is how you get these little groups of almost you know the doctors who take on this product and fill it with information and then tell their friends and you find these like centers where they're, they're all using it um, and it, it, having that more complicated debate with every single hospital in the UK is not an easy step to take. Yeah, but guidelines but this, are different, right? So guidelines... Yeah, but this step, this is a small step towards, sometimes sometimes you have to take a small step and towards in, something better before you then completely redesign the system and do something very, and I'm going to use a horrible word here, so forgive me, disruptive.
2: You're you're, you're forgiven. So a small step before a giant leap? Yeah
1: and you and and that small step buys you the credibility and trust as well and i think that helps
2: now forgive me as well i'm i applaud what you're doing ed i think it's a great move if if it existed i'd use it for sure um
0: well you don't need it anymore but i think other people would use it <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> no i think it's good um i'm just i'm just trying to to help redefine the problem
1: so moving the conversation on a little bit. So what else can an app do besides, you know, data driven interactivity so that I could just say, right, 70-year-old man with a uh, Can
2: you app? explain what you mean by data driven because I I, okay, I have, sorry, I yeah, have that, a very different idea sense. to, to uh, yeah, I mean sorry. I would, it would There's, be interesting uh if you put your fingers in your ears Wake Young and Ed describe what he meant by data driven.
0: Okay. So what I mean by data driven is that the information contained within that pdf is contained within a relational database um, such that it is clearly organized according to various tables you know the, this is a table for antibiotics this that, is a table that, that you for decide the schema the, of. The, exactly that the schema is set it's not free form text format with tables where every single table is totally different um within the pdf it's restrictive uh, it's restrictive but actually it can also help i think in the redesign of the document if you're yeah. doing it because what, what did marcus
2: to- say uh too many choices is no choice at all or something like that yeah i like that
0: you know so you're you're forced to reconsider um the guidelines in terms of its structure and in terms of consistent structure Mm -hmm. Um, So what would happen is the data is then entered in a series of forms in an admin interface, essentially, um, thus allowing it to be updated at whim, essentially. And then that um, server, that cloud-based database has little antennae on it, what we call in in programming jargon, um, application programming interface, or more commonly known as an API, um, which then allows devices, particularly mobile devices in that case is what we're interested in, to access and keep up to date with those points, to to go and get that data and pull it in. Um, It also allows another, it's not just a one-way thing. So I think this is what Waikyong wants to lead on to. It also means that actual interactive things can happen from the server side. So for example, say there's some data which the um, specific department which is publishing these guidelines and entering the data into the cloud-based system wants the people on the ground to know about, they can actually push information to them and make them aware that something has changed, um, something called a push notification, essentially. Um, so it might pop, make a sound, it might vibrate, and then when they go in the app, it will actually, there might be a section which is you know newest updates or whatever, this is the information. Um, so it enables a, more of a two-way line of communication. Um so but what I mean essentially by data driven is that the data is ripped out of that pdf structured properly and then presented um through an easy updatable format to the user
2: okay, and working on what 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 did you mean by data driven or what what springs to mind when you hear so that?
1: so so it's very similar to what Ed said, but basically there is meaning to the word like when you say back time, it knows that that is a penicillin. So it knows that if a penicillin allergic person, what else would it suggest next? So it, it all the data there has a particular meaning. Um, but that is, and- is,
2: is that data driven or is that just intelligent design? Because you could do other stuff where you had a sort of way, if you did have an EMR based application that knew stuff about the patient mm-hmm. uh, and, and there were already primary care software solutions that do this then you could in theory uh, recommend the best antibiotic not just for uh, that patient in terms of their allergies but also in terms of that patient regarding what antibiotics had previously been on. So a guideline or a recommendation from uh, a body may recommend what's best for the population but if that person has received for maybe they've got uh, a recurrent urinary tract infection perhaps they've received lots of different courses of penicillin and perhaps penicillin or something uh, that they're given, say, trimethoprim, is not good enough anymore and it's not hitting the problem, the computer system could recognize that and recommend a different antibiotic based on the kind of pattern uh, from their medical history. In a, is, that,
1: is that We, are, we, are, any, going, we are going yeah. very far from guideline to clinical decision support there. I mean, that's when you ring the microbiology registrar at the moment. Um, but is that what you
2: mean by data-driven? That's what I'm trying to get at. Or do you, not what or, I, it's not what
0: I mean, although or, that is a side effect of it.
2: Or do you mean that you may, um, say for example, if a hospital had the ability to be able to upload their guidelines, you could take that information and work out what was the most common antibiotic for a particular infection and that would be a recommendation to doctors. Is that what you mean?
0: I don't think you'd want to socially medialise your... Socially medialise? I don't think that's a word.
1: But, but, instance, I'll, yeah. I'll, be, but I'll be quite, as I say you know, I'll be quite keen as a person that is designing guidelines on which particular areas of the guidelines that people are looking at and using most, and also then provide the opportunity for people to feedback on those guidelines. It'd be great to really follow up. Um, so you say
2: if uh, if you're an organisation, you produce a guideline. It'd be really great to have this sort of real time information coming in about what existed before the introduction of your guideline. So you had prescribing statistics from every hospital in the country. Uh, which is impossible at the moment, but say you did, um, and then you introduce your guideline just to see if there was a change in what you had recommended, how long that took, and in which areas that had happened, and try and work out the factors that influenced whether that guideline had made a difference or not. That I think that would yeah. be really cool. So
0: I mean, giving so in in other words, basically, what the nice thing to be able to do if you are the publisher of this PDF. Um, would be to be able to get a view of it, which had like a heat map to figure out which pe- bits people look at mm-hmm. and click on the most, and that kind of thing. And having it data-driven would allow you to do that. Yeah. So, so it would mean you could see how many times some people had viewed it. You know, you could see sort of interactivity stats, that kind of stuff, um, by having that data-driven approach. Yeah. As a, as opposed to just the static
2: and if it wasn't a PDF, i came across uh, a a chunk of javascript the other day and i can't remember where it was from and it was um it was heat maps over links and keys you can do all sorts of kind of crazy heat maps which would which, which would be really good for the, the U case you just described but i think that would be really interesting but then you need to make all sorts of assumptions like if someone does click on this link about Uh, penicillin allergy is that because there is more penicillin allergy around or is that because people are just curious you know you really need to make a lot of assumptions about it but that that's cool definitely
1: do you think that a guideline app should have an ability for the author to reach out to the people like for example send them updates like um like let's take an antimicrobial guideline things like oh our hospital infection rates with c difficile has gone up um you know, just as an announcement. Basically, should the app be used as a way for for a particular department like microbiology to that de- to to connect more with the frontline staff? Do you think that that's a use for the app? Because I would be if I was designing an app for this purpose, and, and if I was microbiology, I would like to see how I could use this as well as a as an educational announcement and interactive. Um, channel
2: i think um in terms of what so you mean that the the clinicians can update microbiology about particular infections
1: no 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 the other way around yeah
2: yeah yeah yeah. i was going to say because that already exists right and um but yeah but to as a sort of message board to say to clinicians we had uh x number of infections treated with ciprofloxacin last month and this is how Mm -hmm. many you know it's gone up 10 percent, and also so have our c diff cases gone up by eight uh, percent or something that might be quite and interesting
1: And also important patient safety notices as well about maybe particular antibiotics and like new interactions of of drugs and antibiotics with new drugs that people may not know about you know things like that so just to increase the in in the um the reach yeah you say that they
2: um i was working in a hospital where they they went around uh, we were counselling this uh, lady who we'd started on uh, warfarin for pulmonary embolism. Mm. And she said, uh, I was offered grapefruit juice this morning for breakfast.
1: Oh, <laughs> I was say drink grapefruit juice every single day and it's standard. That's fine. Yeah. But um, so it's was not those ideal, things... right? again, no,
0: medical school teaching though, isn't it? But to serve so it the in the hospital. Medical
1: school teaching sometimes is a bit ridiculous. The point about warfarin anyway Oh, actually, maybe we shouldn't start down this road because I'm a hematologist and it can become a whole podcast in itself.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you can do one for PodMedics on that. Yeah, exactly.
1: Wrong podcast. Yeah.
2: For oh, cytochrome, enzymes, Yeah. Exactly. great
1: yeah. <laughs> so, so Yeah. So how do you think guideline apps would be like in five years' time? Um, do you think that if... We really have good electronic patient records that is intelligent enough to suggest the guidelines that you may want to use. Maybe in twenty years, not five. Well, well if you think about it, if you think about like current workflows, when patient comes in straight to A and E with ECG changes. Also, uh, oh, okay. Look, look at stroke for example. Patients come in to, with with a you know arm weakness and facial drooping and poor speech, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people are thinking of stroke, and they straight away activate a stroke pathway. And I guess a stroke pathway is like uh, a guideline in action, effectively. So people are actually already already doing this, um, but you know it's a human being activating that that the particular pathway. So surely an EMR can do that quite soon. But then you're, you know,
2: you made the distinction between guidelines and clinical decision to support. But I actually think they are the same thing, because what is the point of a guideline if it is not influencing your clinical decision? Mm. So I don't actually think there's any distinction. And I think in 20 years time, we, we, we will have recommended to us based on, because the idea is that you want to apply the statistics and the evidence that you have to the patient in front of you. So um, what would be ideal is not just take someone's, have something that can evaluate the evidence. So to say that in this particular study, um, there were a group of patients who seemed to respond better to a different drug than our main recommendation. So that if you're seen by, if you you see a patient who is in that particular group, the clinical decision support would recommend or make you aware of at least that particular study so you could evaluate it for yourself
0: oh it gets better than that i even better than that i mean i I met with a company recently who are on the whole you know path of providing recommendations to doctors about drugs you know based upon the contents of the emr Um, but they've taken it one step further in that um, and obviously this isn't for now but they actually incorporate genetic analysis into that as well. So, you know, in in 20 years' time, maybe as soon as a patient comes through and their genome is on record, it will say, okay, usually we'd give this, but this patient is not going to respond to this, so give this, based upon even more advanced stuff.
2: Yeah, that's great. And I think um, pharmacogenetics is is definitely uh, a new specialty and and sort of personalised medicine in that sense. It hasn't really uh is going to take off particularly for cancers. you can buy up the cancer find buy up through the cancer find out what it's doing and, and tailor the specific drug to that patient's mm-hmm. cancer which is a fantastic idea but it has limitations and the big assumption there is that your genome is who you are and to a certain extent that's true but you've got a set of genes but not all of them might be expressed so it does get a little bit more complicated i think Oh yeah, uh, oh,
0: yeah. I mean, there are all sorts of.
2: But the uh, the idea, the concept that you can tailor someone's medication or or management plan to who they are, not just their medical history and their past medical history, but also their some physiological problem uh, and you know and sort of genetic makeup and all sorts of other parameters that you could plug in. That would be pretty
0: cool. Not just yeah. their phenotype, but their genotype as well.
1: Yeah, yeah I think Ed, from what you mentioned, what the company is trying to do is very. It, 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 it will make sense in the future, but I don't actually think our medical knowledge is even there yet. Let, let oh, no, I, I agree. I, and yeah. actually I, I mean, it's, I, it's nice. I, yeah. It's easy to sell that idea. Look, great personalized medicine. We don't have the medical knowledge to support that. We definitely don't
0: have It's a nice idea. It's a fantasy at the moment, and uh, this company now realizes that um, and are doing well, it. After, different- after your discussion well i think (laughs) after after a number of discussions
1: um Mm. not just with me (laughs) um i think like with with a nobel prize laureate on pharmacogenetics or something
2: (laughs) (laughs) i'd love to know what you said to the med what did you say
1: um i said it
2: was a wonderful idea and they should pursue it but even more simple than that i was talking with my wife the other day as i often do and uh really you talk to your wife occasionally (laughs) um Yeah, FaceTime sometimes doesn't work that well. So um, we were talking about... She disagreed with me wholly, entirely. um, But I think it would be a really fantastic business idea if there was uh, someone... And taking the primary care example, if you had someone with a particular disorder uh, in front of you and you thought... Uh, I remember there are guidelines on this, but I can't quite access them in front of me. And I've got eight minutes to get this patient in the door, say hello, ask how their dog is, take their coat off, examine them, take their history, examine them, make a diagnosis, prescribe something, put their coat back on and boot them out the door. I don't have time to go and look up this guideline. And I just want to know right here, right now, what should I do with a patient with hypertension who is of a particular ethnic origin? You can't quite remember what to do and one would hope that actually if you've been doing general practice for a while you would know that off the top of your head. But there are all sorts of other cases that, uh, that, that you might not know those things and you know that the guideline exists but you don't know what it is to hand. Could there be a service where you could perhaps call or instant message... Uh, and there'll be a real life doctor on the end who has access and a fast searching engine to those kind of guidelines who could tell you uh, what the answer to is to that question. They will probably have a list of frequently asked questions uh, that they could skim. And uh, if if you uh, sent a message to them saying what uh, what hypertensive antihypertensive medication do i give for this patient and they could get back to you within five minutes i think that would be incredibly useful service yeah
0: i wouldn't want to run that company no i wouldn't either but i mean that kind of service should exist i mean ibm i mean this is a whole different podcast but uh, you know ibm's watson is not not that but it it is being sold and used kind of in that way yeah. Um, in the sense that it personalizes recommendations and guidelines based upon patients and their history to give clinicians quick access to the answers that they need. Uh, there are mixed reviews about it, but it is, you know, it is very big in the States. At the I moment. think it's
1: really important to, to f- one thing, note that one thing Watson would not capture is what does the patient actually want? from the treatment not everyone wants to live longer not everyone wants to just have a cholesterol level that is slightly lower not everybody wants. yeah so i think that that that's the thing that is missing and that's the thing is probably missing in medicine in general but but it's worth... Because, yeah, you because can never we solve
2: don't. that. That's not that's not an IT problem. There are lots of things that are, are amenable to improvement with IT. But making a diagnosis and taking a history isn't one of them. Um, and, and that's what doctors do. So above all, doctors take histories, see patients, make diagnoses and make treatment recommendations based on patient preference and best available evidence. That's what doctors do. Well, I think uh, the uh, idea is that
0: the doctors formulate... The question yes and then have you know and it's about how quickly can they get the answer yeah (laughs) um and i think what what watson tries to give them that more quickly than otherwise
2: yeah and i think that's great but you know going back to what Wei hyung said that you know watson's never going to make a diagnosis for you um because you have to feed it information so garbage in garbage out and where does the information come from? Well, it comes from you talking to the patient of course. Um, about the presenting complaint. And of course, you can support that with EMR services and have past medical history, but it goes back to our episode with, with Marcus about uh, the validity of that information and the accuracy of it. Um, and, and then also talking to a patient about what they might want and what they might not want. And there's no way that an IT system is ever going to help you with that. Well, it might help, but it's not going to, do it for you mm. for
1: sure I concur so guidelines <laughs> so um, have any of you have used any guideline apps or something similar which which you think hmm they're doing something interesting that is slightly different uh, or when you're trying to say, solve a problem when you're in hospital what do you, what's the first thing you do do you look for a local guideline or do you just do what i do which is put something into google
2: hmm. No, I'm, i mean i always try and follow local guidelines and um for the reasons we've, we've mentioned before is and there are national guidelines but actually if you act outside of what is expected by the hospital then uh unexpected results will happen there's probably a very good reason that um that the guidelines exist and maybe they haven't been updated but then you get into a different issue maybe you should feed that up to the person that that, that handles and has responsibility for that guideline um, I have used some guideline apps but main, the, the main thing that I find useful is um, one of the doctors when I was working in London uh, he's a microbiologist and he actually made an app of uh, nothing more than a very simple uh, microbiology prescribing app that mimicked what was on the intranet site and what they <laughs> gave you in a little green book when you started as a junior doctor. And I thought that was great. And and, it, and and going back to what we said before, yes, you're right, there's not that many computers in hospital and there should be more. Um, and I appreciated having it in my pocket on my phone. And I did use it looking up uh, what, what the guidelines were. And it didn't really do anything more than just feed me what was already on the intranet. And I appreciated it. I think it was extremely useful. Um, and that's really the only experience I've ever had of guidelines in clinical practice. Um occasionally um I will look up uh national guidance um just to compare what the hospital does to national guidance. But really, uh if you're working in a clinical setting, you should be following what the hospital recommends.
1: Oh, well, let me tell you a, a story about guidelines, which I think is quite hilarious. So one of the things that people get very scared about transferring a guideline from a PDF into an app is say, Oh my goodness suddenly this um, app will become a medical device. What about clinical safety, right? So this, is, this actually happened in real life. So in a hospital, they were wanting to build antimicrobial guideline, and they had in-house capability to do this. So they got their developer to build it, and he was telling me that um, a lot of people were very against it, thinking that it's going to be dangerous. So, you know, so they tested the app very, very thoroughly, and of course they found errors, well, they didn't realize that these errors also existed in the paper uh, guideline. And it's only, <laughs> that, it's only when they actually looked at it properly, because they were so very electronic, they found these original errors in the paper in the first place. So that,
0: exactly, the app forced not only a redesign, but it forced an actual error checking process as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. It just, people just I guess people get so scared about the digital transition, even though this is such a small digital transition, which is basically copying and pasting what's on paper onto an electronic device, that people forget that, uh, that no one actually checks the paper.
2: That's so funny. Because yeah. legally, it's probably worse to have something that can be printed out in paper form, because you can always push a software update. So if you make a, a horrendous mistake... That might uh endanger the lives of people. You can always push out a software update that erases that mistake and and then cover your logs to make sure it doesn't exist. Whereas if or someone just prints, change,
0: just change the data. I mean yeah, that's the advantage of yeah. data driven. You just go into the back end, change it, and then it will be different.
2: Yeah, but from a sort of legal standpoint, from the hospital's point of view, if you print that guideline out, then well, it's on paper and uh that's it, it's permanent. It's true. Because you can't just, destroy just, paper, of
1: course. Yeah. I just thought this story was so funny know what people were scared about anyway right um so guys um anything more to add not really i think we need
0: to have a an episode maybe on a separate episode on clinical decision making using it
1: so i guess maybe we could finish to tell our listeners a little bit about digital doctor 2013 we could so it's happening
0: Um, We're very lucky to have the support of BCS Health again, Um, so it's going to be happening in the same location in Covent Garden in central London where it was uh, run successfully last year. Um, It's on the 9th and 10th of November, which is a weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Um, And I think we're aiming to have pretty much, we're gonna have different keynote speakers and a few changes to the sessions, but the sort of divide of the days, and you can purchase just to say tickets just for one day or the another day but the divide of the days is essentially going to be as it was before so saturday it's going to be using technology the tools that are available in our modern day lives um to help us as doctors whether that be email or a lot of stuff we cover in this podcast and some other episodes actually email audit task management collaborative working that kind of thing and then on sunday it's more about the sort of what do you do if you've got an idea in IT and you want to do something, how do you make that happen? And last year I think I think it's fair to say we probably went a bit too deep into this, including getting people like writing code and explaining stuff you know, the really probably stuff in too much detail. Yeah. Um so this year we've changed things up a little bit in the sense that we're really gonna not be teaching you how to write the software, but really focusing a lot more upon you know, mechanisms of turning mm-hmm. that idea into something people, other software developers can understand, um, communicating that idea effectively, avenues to actually deliver uh, and build that idea with third parties, how you work with other people, how you find other people to help you, that kind of stuff. Um, so that's basically this year's conference. Um, Stephen has done a wonderful job redesigning the new website. have you. you, Stephen? Thank you very much. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, thedigitaldoc.co.uk. And um,
1: we are keeping the prices the same as last year. No prices inflation. The, prices unlike, are the same.
0: Unlike London Underground and the train services. But you will probably have to pay the inflated price for London Underground to come to the event. <laughs> you could cycle. You could cycle. But I think mm. the Boris bikes are... I know, you bring your own bicycle. Yeah. Anyway, so do do have a look at that. Thedigitaldoc.co.uk. Uh, the Tickets are available now. And the top price tier for a doctor for the t- full two days, including all refreshments is uh 50 pounds, which we think is a competitive rate for a two day conference. Shall I say?
2: Yeah. Fantastic. 25 quid per day, including refreshments.
0: And you get to and, meet uh, us, <laughs> meet us, say hello. And, um, and meet other, I mean, more importantly, meet other people mm. um, who, who, who might share your ideas about it and, you know, and I certainly know that a lot of stuff has actually you know, a lot of collaborations and products and things like that actually came out of the last conference. Um so it is a great place if you're interested, um, not just to hear great people speak, um, excluding us, of course, we're not great, but the other people coming. <laughs> um to uh, to just meet other people and
2: chat. I think for me that was the most important thing from last year. And and we always said that the sort of the the aim of doing this kind of stuff is to to engage people and to and to try and get people talking about different ideas around making healthcare better. And I think as you say there, since last year there have been a number of different things that have happened, um, either directly related or indirectly related to, to what we were doing at the conference, that I find incredibly interesting. And I think this year we're trying we're gonna try and recognise that a little bit. And uh and and I hope that the the people that were there last year Come back because uh, it'd be really interesting to hear what those guys have been up to since since the last conference. Yeah, agree, hundred
0: percent.
1: So uh, till till the next episode, would will be episode twenty. Um, I guess it'll say goodbye now. Yeah. See you soon.
2: Thank you. Bye bye.
1: Bye. Check for pulse.